The Sparks Museum podcast is made possible by a grant from the Nevada Humanities and the National Endowment for the Humanities. The podcast is just one of many new features of the Sparks Heritage Museum. To learn more, check out our social media channels or our website at www.sparksmuseum.org. Hello, and welcome to the Sparks Museum podcast. I'm your host and the media manager for the Sparks Heritage Museum, Jessica Johnson. In 1902, the Southern Pacific Railroad purchased a large tract of swampland near its newly built rail yard in what is presently Sparks, Nevada, after moving its division point from Wadsworth, Nevada. The railroad offered Wadsworth rail workers and their families a deed to a 50-foot by 140-foot lot for the sum of just one dollar. They also offered to pick up and move every house in Wadsworth and reassemble it in this new town free of charge. As the population increased, a city was established and hence the rail city was born. Today on the podcast, I sit down with Adam Mahalski, the current curator of education at the Nevada State Railroad Museum in Carson City. Adam discusses the history of the railroads in this region of Nevada and the various steam and electric powered locomotives and vehicles that built the economy and population of Sparks in its earliest years. He also discusses his own history studying railroads and some of the recent efforts of the Nevada State Railroad Museum. Please welcome to the podcast, Adam Mahalski. Thank you so much for being with us on the Sparks Museum podcast today. Thanks, Jessica, for having me. I appreciate it. <laughs> so I want to start off with the question that I ask all of our guests. The first question is, what is your personal connection, if any, to the city of Sparks? So I would say my personal connection to the city of Sparks is that, I, well, I live in Reno, and I've been living in Reno for about uh, about nine, almost nine years. So I feel like my uh, my personal connection to Sparks is that I have lots of friends that live in this area, so I visit pretty often. I like to go to various businesses in the area. Um, and so for me, it's like I, I just like to come and visit and shop here, uh, visit with my friends that live here, um, those types of things. So yeah, I like to do that type of stuff. <laughs> That is excellent. Now, I would love to get some background on you. So where do you presently work? How did you get there? What was your journey? <laughs> well, that's a good question. Um, so I've been working at the Nevada State Railroad Museum since 2014. Uh, there, I am the curator of education uh, for the Railroad Museum. Um, I've been working in museums since 2010. Um, I started out my career at the San Antonio Conservation Society in San Antonio, Texas. I worked as a museum attendant. Um, at uh, the Steve's Homestead. And then from there, I worked at um, various museums in Texas, the Institute of Texan Cultures, and um, uh, at Casa Navarro, which is uh, which was owned by the Texas Historical Commission. All those museums are based in San Antonio. And um, so I was working there for till about 2014. And then um, the position here at the Nevada State Railroad Museum opened up for curator of education. And initially, I didn't think I was qualified for the job. Um, I have a master's degree in history, and I studied railroad history as part of that. <laughs> um, and so uh, that was that's just been one of my um, interests in, in life is just in railroad history. But I, I still didn't think I was kind of qualified for the position, but then the position just kept remaining open. And then um, finally I was like, oh, I might as well apply for it. And then I did and eventually got the job here at the Nevada State Railroad Museum. And I've been really... 
uh, excited to be working there for the past nine, almost nine years. So that'll be nine years in January. So yeah, it's been a lot of fun working there and it's been a long journey to get here, but I really enjoy it quite a bit. So what is it about railroad or transportation that really interests you? Uh, So to me, um, I've been interested, well, since I was a kid, I was interested in trains. Um, I originally grew up in Wisconsin and um, I lived near this railroad junction, which was just south of, of Milwaukee. And so I used to like to go out and watch trains. I would take pictures of trains. Um, I would, uh, my dad, my parents and I, we would plan a lot of our family trips about around going to either baseball stadiums, which I, I also enjoy baseball. So did my sister and then like railroad museums. And so it was kind of nice for both of us. Cause like my sister and I, we could go to, you know, baseball games. My dad liked baseball but then also I could go see trains and go to museums. And so we'd go to, to see various museums. That's how we'd plan a lot of our trips. So I was always just really interested in trains ever since I was growing up. Um, but I've also been interested in just the whole realm of transportation. Um, I have an undergraduate degree in urban studies from the University of Minnesota. And from there, so in that when I was in that field, um, I studied transportation planning, um, urban development, um, city planning, those types of issues. And so from there, I, uh, I w- was really interested in like transit systems and how they work, um, figuring out where roads and highways should go, like how you plan those. Um, just, and then, yeah, like railways, I was just always interested in railroads. Like I also used to work um, when I was in grad school, I worked at Northwest Airlines <laughs> as oh, a wow. ramp agent in St. Louis <laughs> when I went to grad school there. So I have uh, so I've had this varied background and interest in just transportation in all different forms. It just doesn't matter what it is. Um, even when I plan trips, when I travel other places, I'm always looking for the most complicated route so I can get all the transportation options I can. <laughs> <laughs> wow, planes, trains, and automobiles. That's, yeah, <laughs> everything. <laughs> Runs the gamut. Yep. Um, we previously have had uh, Dick Dryling on talking oh. about the Lillard Park train depot that we have across the way and the different cars that are there because he gives tours of that area. And also um, Jim Bonar, who talked about the Lincoln Highway. So I'm sure your arrival here, getting to know Nevada's transportation systems, that Sparks was a primary uh, topic because of the passage of the Lincoln Highway, the fact that the railroad is such a primary part of Sparks's history. So what did you find in your research that interested you the most about Sparks's purpose in the past century? Um, so I, as being interested in railroad history, I always find that uh, I found that, you know, Sparks is Sparks is basically here because of the railroad. It was a, it was a railroad town um, in 1900. When you look at 19, like the year 1900, like there was Reno. Reno was established, but Sparks did not even exist. Um, it, was, it, it was just nobody even thought of Sparks even being there. Um, but then as uh, there were some various, um, but there, it was kind of interesting the way that the city of Sparks was formed in the early 1900s. But it all dates back even to the construction of the Transcontinental Railroad um, 40, about 40, 30 years earlier. And so you see, so when the, the railroad first arrived in Truckee Meadows on May 4th, 1868, and from there, so that it arrived in Reno and um, coming from the west over the, the Sierra. And then um, about a week later, the railroad makes its way through what's currently Sparks today and into the lower Truckee River Canyon. 
Um, so that construction is completed around that time. And then um, the final connection over the, the Sierra at Truckee was completed in June of 1868. And so that finally at that point, you could have trains that came from Sacramento all the way over the Sierra into Reno and the Truckee Meadows and uh, present-day Sparks. And so the um, so by that time, uh, so you had this construction of the railroad, and then fast forward a few years later, about 20 years later or so, um, the Central Pacific Railroad, which is the railroad that built uh, the line through Reno and Sparks, um, current-day Reno and Sparks, um, at that time, um, they're bought by the Southern Pacific Railroad, and the Southern Pacific Railroad is looking at different ways to improve the transportation um, between on its on this line between um, Sacramento and uh, Salt Lake or Ogden, uh, Ogden, Utah. And so they're looking at different ways to improve the route. And so um, at that point, um, in around 1900, um, the Southern Pacific is looking at different ways to improve this route. And then um, in 1902, um, E.H. Harriman, he was the president of the Union Pacific Railroad, um, the Union Pacific Railroad has just purchased the the Southern Pacific, and they're looking at um, all these different ways to improve the route. And so they um, decide between between what was present day Sparks and Ogden that they're going to make a various improvements because the the route that they used was the original route from the 1860s when they first completed the railroad. And the route at that time they were just trying to get it done as quickly as possible across Nevada, and so they didn't really. They didn't really engineer it quite as well as it could have been engineered, and so there was a lot of like, a lot of various curves, like sharp curves and um, high gradients, and so they wanted to 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 pair those back, and also they wanted to cut make, make like different cutoffs so that they didn't have to so they could avoid a lot of uh, the mountains in the areas, because since Nevada is so mountainous, um, it makes sense to um, try to avoid as many of those mountains as possible. So then between um, between 1902 and about 1909, the Union Pacific upgrades the route, and they cut off several miles of track. They improved the gradients. The gradients, like the before the route was open, um, the maximum grading was about 1.8 percent, which is really high for a railroad. Usually, a railroad works best when it's on uh, a level surface, and so because you have steel wheels on steel rail, and so it just makes more sense to operate on a flat surface. So having a 1.8% grade is um, pretty steep. After the improvements, uh, most of the maximum grades were 0.4%. So you had a steep drop-off in the amount of um, grades that the railroad had to go over. And so, and they also reduced the curvature on a lot of the different routes. They, um, they also uh, just built new sections of track to make it easier to um, operate their trains. And so... Um, after the, after this, after all these upgrades, um, in 1909, um, the railroad cut off about three hours and 20 minutes of travel time between Ogden and, and, uh, Sacramento. And that's, and that's a huge difference from what it was, uh, you know, even before, uh, the improvements were made. And so, um, so when you, when you think about that too, like that also meant that, um, a lot of the division points along the way had to be changed. Um, the division points, uh, like division points are where like one division of a railroad meets another division point. And that's, so that's kind of like a center of operations for that stretch of track. And so um, there were about four division points between Sacramento and um, Ogden. And so then they cut those down to two. And one of them happened to be Sparks. 
And so in 1903, uh, they decide to build, the railroad decides that they're going to move all their operations from the town of Wadsworth, which is about 30 miles away from, about 30 miles east of here, and they decide to move them to Sparks. Um, So Sparks at that time didn't really exist. Um, It was sometimes called East East Reno. It was also called Green uh, Glendale. And and it was also called Harriman for a brief time. And, but E.H. Harriman came to Sparks and he didn't, well, he came to Harriman <laughs> and he decided, oh, I don't want to be, I don't want to be associated with, I don't want my name associated with the town. So they named it after John Sparks, who was a rancher and uh, governor of Nevada at the time. And so in 1903, uh, ni- about 1903, 1904, the city of Sparks is formed. And so that's when the railroad starts really building up this area. They had to move everything from Wadsworth, all of the, not only, not only the buildings and structures, but also the people and everybody that worked there. So they all had to move in the spring of 1904 to, to Sparks. And so even in that case, like uh, some of the employees actually moved their houses on a train. They would put them on a flat car, put the houses on a flat car and bring them over to Sparks and then they could move and they put their houses down in Sparks. Um, all sorts of new facilities had to be built, um, including a 40-stall roundhouse, which was the largest roundhouse west of Chicago. Um, so they had that; they had to build that here in Sparks because this was going to become a major uh, division point for the Southern Pacific Railroad. So even though the the railroad, the Southern Pacific Railroad, moved on post the 1950s with the switch out of the steam era. Mm-hmm. Um, we still see in the blueprint of the city how important that the railroad remains. I mean, the fact that a good stretch of it runs right along the highway, along I-80. Um, so are these routes still the same routes that were a part of the original railroad, or how is that railroad used today? So as um, so, like when we talk about Sparks uh, specifically, um, yeah, so the railroad is pretty much similar to what it was, uh, this, the same route from the 1950s. Um, prior to that, um, Prater Way, uh, well, prior to the improvements um, that were made under the Union Pacific in the early 1900s, in uh, 1904, they switched the route. Um, it was actually along Prater Way. That's the old the old alignment of the Central Pacific Railroad, Southern Pacific, uh, used to be Prater Way, which is just right outside the studios here. Yeah. And um, so that, would, that was the old CP right away, because they had initially wanted to build the railroad um, where it is currently today. Uh, however, there was a flood in 1868, oh. and so they had to align the tracks in a different pattern around the flooding across the wet, because there used to be wetlands there. And so when they realigned the railroad in the early 1900s, they decided to move back to the originally, um, the original right-of-way that they had planned to build on. Um, and so that's why... Uh, that's where the railroad is today. So the railroad, so the railroad through Sparks is where it is today since about 1904. Now, with the loss of the roundhouse, um, it therein necessitated the use of another roundhouse. I'm sure nearby. Do you know where that location would have been? So they uh, they used the roundhouse until the about the 1950s. And so um, what's interesting is so the the, the roundhouse was built um, in the early 1900s. It was the largest roundhouse west of Chicago. They had 40 stalls. Um, this, the shops here in Sparks at that time, around 1920 or so, it had about 850 to 900 employees. And this was because steam locomotives were very difficult to 
maintain. Um, you had to take a steam locomotive off about every hundred miles for servicing. Um, so this was a good point to do that when you're coming from Sacramento. And so when you come over down our pass and get to get to get to Sparks, you can. It's a good stopping point where you can just take off a locomotive here and put a new one on, and then it would continue on its way to um, Imlay, which is uh, just east of Winnemucca. And so there was like this. Um, so there was a lot of, you know, the Southern Pacific had a lot of employees based here in Sparks for a number of years. And so um, the shops were really integral to that um, between 1904 and about 1956. And so you see um, they, they even expanded. The Southern Pacific actually expanded its shops during World War II in, in 1942. Between 1942 and 1944, uh, they built a, the Sparks back shops. And this was a because they were experiencing a lot of traffic during the war effort, uh, during World War II. And so there's a lot of uh, freight trains that were coming over Donner Pass. And this just, Sparks just seemed to be uh, the right place to service those locomotives. And so they, what they actually did was, the, the railroad actually brought um, an old shop that was in El Paso, Texas. And they, they took it apart brick by brick and moved it here to Sparks in oh, 19, wow. yeah, 1942, 1943. And so they reconstructed those shops and it opened in February of 1944. And so um, those, those back shops were used to service these larger locomotives that were being used over Donner Pass. Um, but what's interesting is too about that is that even though like, the, the shop was completed in 1944, it was obsolete within about 10 years. Um, so, after in the post-war era, after 1945, um, you see a big shift on railroads, and especially out here in the West, where they're switching from steam locomotives to diesel locomotives. Um, diesel locomotives were especially popular for Western railroads because of the lack of water out west, and so the Western railroads were really quick to to dieselize their their uh, their locomotive fleets, and so. Um, and it also turned out that, like, one diesel locomotive at that time um, had a, the capacity to carry about one, had a capacity to pull about 1,250 tons. Wow. And a steam locomotive at that time, a comparable steam locomotive, could pull about 1,500 tons. However, it, it's just more expensive to, to maintain the steam locomotives. Um, so you could, but what you could, what was nice about the diesel locomotives, you could put about three or four together and they could operate from just one locomotive. You could just have one locomotive operate all four of them. So you didn't need an engineer and a, a crew for each locomotive. Whereas with a steam locomotive, you needed a crew for every steam locomotive on the train. Um, so this was a way to save on labor costs. It was also, so like having diesels like this, like, yeah, you could save on labor costs um, and you could stack three or four together and you get the same amount of um, the same amount of effort as, as opposed to putting two or three steam locomotives that each had their own crews. And also they were uh, more fuel efficient than uh, the steam locomotives. So like, uh, during some testing in the 1940s, the Southern Pacific found that on one of the freight trains that they were operating across Nevada, um, it only needed about 3,500 or so gallons of fuel to get across uh, a stretch of track, whereas a steam locomotive at that time 
was using about five to 6,000 gallons oh, of wow. fuel. <laughs> and multiply that by three locomotives. So that's a lot of fuel you're talking about. Um, so it was a way to save a lot of money. They Even though like even though the diesel locomotives were more expensive, they were finding that they could save about $1,000 a day just by operating, excuse me, about $1,000 a month uh, just by operating these uh, more efficient diesel locomotives. They As the steam locomotives are phased out, um, they, the, the diesels are just more, um, they're more efficient. So they can be, they don't have to, they can go a lot farther than the steam locomotives can. They can just cross entire divisions and like they could run from Ogden all the way to Southern, all the way to, uh, Sacramento without having to, uh, be taken off in service. They could just service them at those two endpoints. And so what you see is this, uh, drop off in, um, in, uh, Roundhouses that are needed and uh, and shops, so the the spark shops eventually close in the late 1950s, around 1956, and so that's just a it's a it's kind of, it's a it's a big blow to the local economy, especially when you had about a thousand people working at those shops, and now that, and then so then after that point, you don't need as many employees. Absolutely, it's been very interesting to track the different. Um, the different images of the city that they have taken on since the closure of the railroad mm-hmm. of trying to um, become a tourist destination or take on the um, Victorian theming of that downtown area. Um, and now it's very much themed towards families as we've discussed previously on the podcast as well. So I think trying to find an identity after the true cause of your city's existence goes away was a very interesting transition for the city to make. Oh yeah, absolutely. Cause like even like, so after the, after the railroad, um, after they closed their shops in the 1950s, um, you kind of see a decline in the, the railroad up until about the 1990s through this area. Um, so, you know, prior to, um, the 1950s, like train, railroad, trains, railroads, they were a huge business. They're still a huge business, but even that they, but back at that time, they employed a lot more people as you can, as we were talking about with the SP, like they were, on, they were one of the largest, if not the largest employers here in the city of Sparks prior to the 1950s. And then as those shops uh, go away in 1956, um, now you start to see even further declines. Um, there used to be a lot of, so like, for example, there used to be, uh, the, the Southern Pacific used to operate passenger trains and these trains would generally run between Ogden and um, Oakland or to Sacramento. Um, and at that time, like before about from about 19, around 1960 or so, there was still about eight passenger trains a day running uh, through Reno and Sparks at that time. Sparks was a really important point for the, uh, for the passenger trains. Cause they would uh, service the trains there. They would uh, refuel the, the passenger trains. They would add um, supplies, um, here in Sparks, and so um, so even that kind of dries up um, during the nineteen sixties, and a lot of this has to do with um, the completion of the interstate or the development of the interstate highway system. Um, the, the highway, the interstate highway system, started around nineteen fifty six, and um, this was put into place by President Dwight D. Eisenhower. And so um, after that point, you see uh, the construction of interstate highways in I eighty is uh, one of those main thoroughfares that's constructed across the United States. And so during that time, you can you, there's just a lot of construction of I-80. Uh, I-80 is completed through Reno and Sparks around 1974. And so at that point, you see 
um, US 40, which was the main highway, the Lincoln Highway. Uh, that was like the main highway across northern Nevada, along with um, Highway 50, which went farther south through Carson City. Uh, but you see that those routes that were very important to automobile traffic um, during the early part of the 20th century, those, so those, uh, those highway routes uh, become less important. And so then you see here in Sparks, um, a lot of those businesses that depended on that automobile traffic, uh, a lot of the, the motels, um, things like that, they kind of uh, lose a lot of their business and they become run down because now everybody can travel on the highways. Um, and then they, uh, so uh, people can drive on interstates and get to their destinations a lot more quicker. You can just kind of bypass all of these towns. <laughs> and I mean, you're like, so like when you're on the interstate, you're just, you know, zooming by through Reno. Like you can just get through Reno in like five, 10 minutes on a good day <laughs> and just continue on your way. Uh, whereas when you had highway 40, um, and Lincoln highway, you were, um, just driving straight through the middle of these downtown areas and you could stop, you might see a business you want to stop there. Um, or, you know, it's, it was just a, a slower way of travel. So you'd, um, maybe just want to stop and stay overnight, say in Sparks, um, at one of the motels, and even that, just even along that whole route along Prater Way, along um, Avenue uh, Avenue B, which is now Victorian Avenue, like all those um, areas used to have a lot of more motels, and I mean some of them are still existing today, but they're they're not as uh, prevalent as they used to be. So you just kind of see this big shift um, in the mo- like the the you see this big shift in the way that people um, are using transportation starting in the 50s, 60s, and 70s in that in that era. Yeah, and very much in the ways in which it still continues to impact visitors and residents today. Oh, absolutely. And um, so, yeah, so, like, yeah, even today, like, you, you just see that because now the, now Sparks and the Truckee Meadows, I mean, it's, it's become more auto-oriented. Um, it's a, um, so you can even see that with a lot of the expanding highways in the area, like Veterans Parkway, I mean, that's um, used as a way to get traffic from the south end of Reno um, up to Sparks and uh, to, to shift those traffic patterns around. Um, yeah, so there's just like all these various ways that we've um, expanded the roadways, uh, which um, so now we've, that we've become more auto-oriented, we're, we're less inclined to use trains or transit and things like that. Now, a feature that is no longer around today, but something that has been looked upon by visitors to the museum very fondly, either as memories themselves or memories that a family member had, is the um, now no longer in service streetcar that ran. Well, was that uh, 4th Street and Prater? Yes. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. So it used to be a streetcar line that operated between the SP Depot in downtown Reno and the Sparks shops here in, in Sparks. <laughs> and so it was about a 4.5 mile long line and it was uh, originally built by the Nevada Traction Company. And um, so the, the, this, this line was built on, it started construction on October 1st, 1904. And what I find amazing is that the line was completed by Thanksgiving of 1904. Wow. <laughs> so in about a month and a half, it took a. It took them to build this route between Reno and Sparks. I'm just thinking about today, where you'd have to do a lot of like studies and you know everything. Yeah, <laughs> it would take years to to build that line. Um, so it's just kind of interesting, like how they were able to complete this line really quickly. And so the line itself actually operated from the, the Sparks Roundhouse, which would uh, be near Pyramid Way today. It's actually, and then the it would actually run past the 
uh, on, it was B Avenue. Um, it would run past that, which is now Victorian Avenue. And so they would run right past the museum today if it were still existing. <laughs> <laughs> and um, then it would run uh, all the way along 4th Street into downtown Reno, and it would make its way to the Sparks Deep, or excuse me, to the uh, SP Depot in downtown Reno. And what was the main function of that? Was it purely tourist or was it actually used as a regular part of residents' commute? Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was definitely used by commuters and shoppers. So, um, so when the line opened on uh, November 24th, 1904, that day they had 3,000 riders. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And there, so there's, there was a lot of demand for this service um, because there was, this was just a, it just made it a lot easier to, be, to get between um, the between Sparks and all of the, the commercial center was Reno. And so that's where a lot of the shopping and um, the shopping was done and things like that. So it just made it a lot easier to get to Reno. Um, the, the route, the, 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 the fare was 10 cents and the, the ride lasts about 15 to 20 minutes to get to downtown, uh, to get to downtown Reno. Um, and so this was just a, a really easy way for people in Sparks um, to get over to Reno. And also it made it easier for uh, commuters from Reno, like the SP employees that lived in Reno, they could get to Sparks more easily to work in the shops um, here in, in Sparks. Absolutely. Yeah. How long was it in service? So the line that ran between um, Reno and Sparks was in service until 1927. Mm. And um, so around, so around, so the, so even before that, like between 1905 and 1910, um, eventually the service be- became the Reno Traction Company, and they actually had a fairly extensive route network throughout the city of Reno, too. So um, they had the one line from Reno to Sparks. That was the main the main line um, that served about, that was where about 80% of the ridership came from for this, uh, for this streetcar. But they also had lines in Reno that went to, from downtown to UNR, um, down 2nd Street to Keystone Avenue. They had a line that went south to, um, to the Wells, to Wells Avenue in the Wells Avenue neighborhood. Um, they also had a line that uh, went to uh, Plumas and California avenues in Reno, which connected to another route called the Nevada Interurban, which served the Moana Hot Springs, the, the baths, um, which was pretty fascinating. So, uh, so they had all these various lines throughout Reno. And uh, they also actually had a, a temporary line that would go to the fairgrounds. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, where the... Uh, the Reno Rodeo is today. They would build that during the summer months, and then they would take it out at the end of the season, and then just keep rebuilding it every year. So those uh, so those routes in Reno actually lasted till about 1919, because after that point, you, in the early, in the teens, you start to see ridership decline um, as automobiles become more prevalent. Um, people want to um, take their cars. Like so, for example, um, the route between Sparks and Reno. Um, Trains operate about every half an hour. The streetcars operate every half hour from about 6.30 a.m. till about midnight. And um, that, that's, that's fairly frequent. Um, but if you're using an automobile, it's totally different. Like, you can just get in your car and go whenever you want. You don't have to be on a fixed schedule. Um, and you don't have to live near a streetcar stop to get on the train and go somewhere. You can just get in your car. You can just, you know, drive, get to your destination, um, generally, usually more quickly, and um, and and you could do it on your own at your own pace at your own leisure. So you see this this big decline in the streetcar patronage 
Um, so in 1919, all of the, the Public Service Commission of Nevada allows the Reno Traction Company to abandon all of their lines in Reno. The one that remains is the line between Reno and Sparse because there is still quite a bit of patronage on that route. And But however, like over the course of the 1920s, that service tends to decline. Uh, more people get cars, there's better roads. Um, and then even the Reno Traction Company is just they just want to get out of the business altogether of streetcars. <laughs> so they're making it, uh, they're, at that time, they're making it even less attractive as an option to ride streetcars. They, um, the, the windows on the cars are cold and drafty in the winter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, it, it's just the, the seats are, like the, they're not, the cars aren't very clean. Um, they're just trying to, they're encouraging people to get away from using the streetcar and using other transportation options because they're losing a lot of money every year on this, on this service. So finally in September of 1927, on September 2nd, 1927, um, the public service commission, um, decides that the Reno traction company no longer has to operate their, um, no longer has to operate their streetcars. And so on September 6, 1927, that's the final day of service of the streetcar between Reno and Sparks. Mm. Wow. Another relic of a bygone era. Yes. <laughs> wow. Well, it's a shame. I feel like a lot of people today would have a renewed interest in that sort of transportation, if nothing else, for the novelty of it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I know I would. Oh, yeah, <laughs> me too. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it's like I, um, yeah, I would definitely like to ride streetcars and um, even today, I'm like like rail to like a light rail system. I always like riding transit wherever I go. It's just ex- experiencing the transit system. So yeah, it would be it would be great to have a another uh, rail system between Sparks and Reno sometime. I'm gonna take a pause here because I see you've got a lot of notes. So is there something that you had researched or put down that we haven't covered yet? I just want to oh. make sure that we cover everything. So I was just even thinking about too, like. Um, when you look at the the shift in the economy mm, yeah. here in, in Sparks, um, one of the big things that happens in 1949 is um, the state of Nevada decides uh, to allow um, tax-free warehouse storage. Oh and, wow! And so this is even re- this is relevant even today. So like what happened? So what that means is um, in other in a lot of other states. Um, Companies have to, the companies pay taxes on their products that they're storing in their warehouses. And so even though they're for sale um, and they're trying to, the the companies are trying to move these products, um, they still have to pay a tax on storing them until they're finally sold. Um, So that raises the cost of those products. Um, So in 1949, uh, the state of Nevada decides that they're just going to allow for tax-free warehousing meaning that you can just store your products here in a warehouse. You don't have to pay a tax on having them just sit there um, over or, you know, for, it could be days, months, however long. So you don't have to pay those taxes. And that becomes a really big shift in the industries here in Northern Nevada and in Sparks especially. Um, Because even today that still is relevant today because that, so at that point um, in 1949, when this is instituted now, what you can do is you can store all these products here and then you can ship them to the bigger markets in California and up and down the West coast. Um, And it just makes it, but because you're just, you're still really close to California, um, to the Bay area, Sacramento, 
Um, so you can just store those products here, and then when they need them, um, they can get them on demand, and then they can just ship them overnight to their destinations in California. Um, so this is a good, this is a big development, and even you see that today, um, where that that shift is really important to the Sparks economy today. Um, you have a lot of warehouses here for companies like Walmart and PetSmart, um, Amazon, that they they store a lot of their products in these warehouses here in Nevada. And then once somebody makes an order, say online or at a store, at a Walmart store in California, um, they can quickly take these products from here in Sparks and just truck them overnight across I-80 mm. and um, get them to California in a timely manner. So you got it. So that's kind of a, a one of the economic shifts that you see here um, over the past 50, 60 years in the post-war era. Wow, you said that was nineteen forty nine. Yes. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So you see that. So, so not so like even so like even today you you just see that shift um, with the, the warehousing economy that's here in northern Nevada, and it's still very important to us today. Um, but even too when you look at um, when you look at things like the uh, divorce trade. Mm, yeah. And divorce tourism, like even in uh, around 1970, um, that's when you see kind of a drop off in that tourism in a way, because other states uh, liberalize their their divorce laws. Sure. So so you see a, a start uh, a, a sharp drop off in the amount of people that are just coming here to get uh, their six week uh, divorce, and so you don't really have that residency requirement anymore in other states, or you just you don't have those those uh, those issues anymore and so um, so that tends to drop off around 1970 uh, the divorce trade um, so then so that's that's a big shift um, so you, you no longer have that but then you also have the the corporate casinos that start coming in in the 70s like the nugget um, Grand Sierra resort or something not the Grand Sierra resort but um, you just see like all these different resorts that pop up here in Reno and Sparks area. And so you kind of see that shift into the economy to those big corporate casinos that are operating here in town. Um, so there's this, there's like there's a lot of different ways that the economy has, has transformed itself just from, you know, it, it used to be just more or less mining and uh, the railroads here in Sparks, but now it's, it's shifted to warehousing, it's shifted to casinos. Um, so it's really, it, the, the, and uh, so it's just really transformed. And even like the tech sector is coming in as well from, um, various tech companies are are coming to northern Nevada and so you see a lot of those uh, those those changes to the economy in, in sparks and all of this taking place in what really amounts to a little over a century yeah that's correct that's, yeah. yeah yeah and, and you see that and like what's interesting too is you just see that population explode like from I mean when in 1910 um, when the first census was done in sparks there was about 2500 people and then after um, in 1940, the population was about 6,000 people or so here in in Sparks. But then in 1950, the population uh, nearly doubles; it's up to about 11,000. And then, but since 1950, now we're we have about 108,000 people living here in yeah. Sparks. And um, even I'm just amazed that there has been that much growth. Like I'm just and I just look at the numbers; it's like wow, like there's just a lot of growth going on here in Sparks. And it, so you just see that transformation. Uh, of uh, the economy, the amount of people that are coming in um, to the region just over the course of a century. And it's pretty, pretty mind boggling. Wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing so much about 
this city and its transformation. I Before we head into the final segment of our podcast, I would love to shine a light back on the Railroad Museum. Um, so recently, uh, you had a pretty phenomenal event, the Great Western Steam Up event. Is, did I, am I getting that name correct? Yes, yes you are. <laughs> and uh, can you talk about why that was so landmark? What an undertaking that was. And would it have been possible for any of those um, engines to have come through Sparks? Oh, sure. Absolutely. So it's, um, so um, during July 1st, from July 1st to July 4th, um, we 2022, we had the Great Western Steam Up at the Nevada State Railroad Museum. And so this was a, a major event for us. Um, it was, we had about 7,500 visitors come to the museum that during that those four days. And we had, um, it was it was actually one of the largest, if not the largest ticketed event in Carson City's history. Wow. <laughs> and so there was, we had a lot of visitors come in. We had um, about 10, we had 10 different uh, steam locomotives that were in operation during that weekend um, from various railroads that had ties to, to Nevada. And so um, we had like, various locomotives operating. We had uh, vendors, we had um uh, we had entertainment, live entertainment. We had musicians. We had a beer garden. Um, we had a visit from the Sparks Heritage Museum. Uh, they were they were on hand. Uh, Jessica was there. Christine. Um, we were pleased to have um, pleased to have them at the museum as well. Um, so we had, and then we had like train rides, and um, we had a fire pumper f- um, from Virginia City there. Um, just lots of various pieces of railroad equipment, and it was just a, an amazing event. Um, we had a really great time. Um, it was really busy for us as a staff, <laughs> but it was, um, and our volunteers, uh, we couldn't have done the, we couldn't have done an event like this without the, our, our volunteers, um, the friends of the Nevada State Railroad Museum, they're our, um, support organization that really helps us with these events. Um, so without their, uh, without them, we couldn't have done an event like this, but yeah, it was a really great event for the museum and, um, we're, People keep asking us if we're going to do this again next year. Um, I don't think so. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it does the, an event like this takes a lot of planning. Um, we got um, we we um, we've been planning this event for we've been talking about it for quite a while. And like the whole planning process, it takes a it takes a long time to to plan an event like this. Um, but um, maybe down the road, five ten years from now, maybe we do another event like this. But for right now, we just kind of want to take a break from all the excitement we had. <laughs> and did these, uh, did these locomotives, were they all under the guys, uh, under the, um, purview of the museum or were they transported from elsewhere? Um, so, uh, the look, most of the locomotives were transport transported from other places. We had, um, the Eureka and Palisade number four, um, come from Las Vegas. Um, we had, um, um, the, we had a, a locomotive called the chicken, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that was brought in from, it was actually operated on the Santa Cruz and Portland Cement Railroad mm-hmm. um, in Santa Cruz, California. Um, that locomotive was brought in from California. A lot of locomotives were brought in from California, but they all, but almost all of them, except for the, the, the Chigan, had ties to Nevada. There was a, a locomotive from uh, the Bluestone Mining Corporation, which operated out in, in Smith Valley, um, so we had a locomotive from there. We had several Virginia and Truckee Railroad locomotives that uh, came in. Um, right now we have the, the Genoa uh, and uh, the J.W. Bowker. They're on, they're on uh, loan right now from the California State Railroad Museum uh, for a two-year loan. So they're actually going to be here on display for another two years. Um, so if you want to come down and see those locomotives, uh, they're really unique locomotives, and they haven't been to Nevada um, 
probably since about the probably about the 1940s. Wow. <laughs> so it's, it's really cool that they're back here at, at our museum and we're, we have them on display right now in the Jacobson Interpretive Center at the museum. So you can come by and see some more pieces in the Nevada Railroad history. Um, but yeah, so like, but all the, but all the locomotives that we had, except for one had uh, ties to, to Nevada railroading. Oh, and also that we had the, uh, the Tahoe uh, number five mm-hmm. uh, from the Nevada County narrow gauge. Um, this locomotive is a sister locomotive to our, uh, our museum's locomotive, the Glenbrook. Um, the Glenbrook and the Tahoe were built around the same time in 1875. Wow. And, um, and so they, they operated up at the Carson and Tahoe Lumber and Fluming Company, uh, which is a railroad that ran between uh, Glenbrook and up to Spooner Summit. And they hauled uh, lumber from the shores of from the mills at Lake, at Lake Tahoe at Glenbrook all the way up to Spooner Summit. And then from there, the lumber would be put into flumes and taken down to Carson City and then be used, uh, then be hauled by the Virginian Truckee up to the Comstock to be used either as fuel or like square set timbering um, in the mines or for construction supplies. Um, so that was kind of cool to have those two locomotives together. And both of them still operate today. The Glenbrook operates and the, the Tahoe was just recently restored to operation um, this past year in, in 2022. So um, it was just really cool to have them together because they hadn't operated together since 1898. Wow. And so it was fun to have them both at the museum at the same time under steam and being able to to, to see that uh, play out was a lot of fun and really exciting for our visitors to, to take advantage of that. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> now, um, if anyone wants to visit the museum, what are your hours of operation? So we're open um, Thursday through Monday, 9 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. And um, we're... Uh, we're just down the road in Carson City, about 30, 35-minute drive from here in Sparks. Um, we have uh, lots of great um, items on display. Uh, as I was mentioning, we have the uh, the Bowker and uh, the Genoa, which from which are on loan from the California State Railroad Museum. Um, we have uh, the McKean motor car, which was constructed in 1910. There were 152 of these McKean motor cars built between 1905 and 1917, and even some of them actually ran... Um, here in Sparks um, back in the early 1900s. But we have the only one in the world that's fully restored and operable. Mm-hmm. And so you can come down and take a look at that. It's a former Virginian Truckee uh, railroad motor car. Um, so yeah, we do have a lot, lots of historic equipment that you can come see. We have one of the largest uh, um, collections of 19th century railroad equipment in the United States. Um, and a lot of it, and most of it, uh, operated here in Nevada on the Virginian Truckee Railroad and various railroads throughout the state of Nevada. It's a really unique collection and definitely worth a visit. Oh, absolutely. Now to end, I would love to ask you what we call the big three questions that we ask all of our guests. So the first question is, what sparks you about Sparks? What do you think (laughs) makes it a unique place to live, work, or visit? Uh, I would say for me, for me, I just, I really enjoy the history of Sparks. Um, As, you know, somebody's interested in railroads and transportation, I've, I've always been interested in the the railroad history of Sparks. Um, I'm just I'm just fascinated with um, how this used to be a large, you know, the, how the railroad here was had a big influence on the city, and then over the past um, 50, 60 years, how it's declined. But it's still it's still a major part of the, the city's history. And pe- I like how that uh, people here embrace their railroad history, their railroad heritage um, here in Sparks. Um, so I always find that fascinating. Um, I kind of like the, I also enjoy um, the different neighborhoods. I like all the, 
the older houses um, that as you step away from the tracks um, to the north and you, as you make your way towards uh, Prater Way and in that area, like I just really like the old neighborhoods. I like that it's retained a lot of its its character from that time. Uh, but I also like that um, in Victorian Square, how there's been a lot of um, redevelopment. And um, so it seems like even though that we're retaining a lot of the um, the the historic homes and everything, we're also still thinking about the future in terms of um, providing more housing and um, hopefully um, redeveloping more Victorian Square and um, along Victorian Avenue and just to make sure that um, we get lots of like, it'd be cool to like have lots of like smaller businesses and um, things like that to attract more people to the city of Sparks. So I don't know, I think there's just a lot, I think there's a lot going on in Sparks and I think there's um, a lot of opportunities for growth and I'm always happy to, to see that happening here in, in this city. That's amazing. Do you have a favorite story or a moment from Sparks' history that is your particular favorite? This could either be a personal memory that you witnessed or something that you've come across in your research. Um, so this is probably a little bit obscure, but um, I was just um, thinking about uh, the last day of operation for the streetcar line here in mm. Sparks. Um, and to me, that was there was uh, there was something that happened on that day that I thought was really fascinating. <laughs> um, it's one of my favorite parts of the Sparks um, history. So, uh, September 6, nineteen twenty-seven, that was the final day of operation for the Reno Traction Company. And so, on that day, they abandoned their um, line between Reno and Sparks uh, for their their streetcars. Um, but what, what I found fascinating in my research was. Um, what happened on the last run between Reno and Sparks. So the, the final streetcar um, left Reno probably around midnight or so and was going to get to Sparks around 1230 or so. And so um, as, the tra- as, the, as, this, as the streetcar was coming into Sparks, um, they were, the, the, the streetcar was very busy. There were a lot of patrons on board because it's the last run and everything. Um, but what I thought was kind of interesting when I was doing my research was that the motorman on the car, he's in charge of the, he's, he's in charge of the car. He tied down the whistle on the car. And so uh, for the last like five or so minutes of the run leading into Sparks, he just had the whistle just constantly blowing for like the final oh, five wow. minutes. And I just found that amusing because like, it's, you know, it's after midnight and it's, and the resident, I guess a lot of residents complained about this and they called the police and told them about this. And, but it's like, you know, what are you going to do? Like, it's the last yeah. run. Like they're going out of business after this run. So you, what are you going to do? Um, but it, it sounded like the writers really approved of this yeah. and, and they, they had a great time um, with this, but I, I just thought that was like an amusing story about uh, Sparks history, a little bit obscure, but uh, I just thought it was fascinating. Yeah, Yeah. right. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. And lastly, since we are a museum with a research center and um, a collections archive, our organization believes that there are countless stories and artifacts that are worth preserving that are local to the Truckee Meadows region. So with that in mind, is there an item that you either personally own or are aware of that you believe is museum worthy? Hmm. That's a good question. So I was thinking about this and I wasn't, I didn't have anything in my personal collection that I could think of. Um, And then I was thinking about things that could be preserved, um, and I 
was kind of struggling with that a little bit. However, I was thinking of things that I wish had been preserved. Mm. <laughs> and one of them would be uh, a Reno Traction Company streetcar. Oh, wow. Because I, I think it would have been kind of cool if we could have kept the, one of those. Because um, their early uh, Reno Traction Company streetcars that operate between Reno and Sparks, they actually came from San Francisco. Mm. And there's some debate over whether or not they're actually cable cars that were just turned into streetcars that could be operated here in in, in um, Sparks. And so I think because it's the the because they have that classic cable car look to them like when uh, when you see them. So I so even though we don't know of any exists today um, of those streetcars, I think it was a lost opportunity to be able to to have one of those in a museum. Um, so I was, so I was kind of thinking like that would have been a great item to have because it's just they were really unique cars. And it would have been a lot of fun if we could still have one of them today and maybe have it in operation or at least in a museum yeah. collection somewhere. Do you know what happened? Were they transported out? Were they scrapped for parts? Yep, they were. Yeah, they were scrapped oh. um, in the 1920s. There was some, there is some thought that maybe one of them exists, but nobody knows where that is. I think there was one. One of the car bodies was um, purchased by somebody in Sparks, but. The latest information I have on that is from about 1960. So wow. I don't know what, it, between 1960 and now, I don't know if um, if there's, if that car has been, that still survives somewhere in Sparks or anywhere in the area. Um, it may be gone completely. Um, but if that, but if it still exists and somebody has it, um, <laughs> consider calling the Sparks Heritage Museum. <laughs> Maybe one of our <laughs> listeners will know. Yeah, right? <laughs> Well, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast today. It was lovely talking with you. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Jessica. I really appreciate it. The Sparks Museum podcast is funded in part by a grant from the Nevada Humanities and the National Endowment for the Humanities. It is produced and recorded at the podcast recording studio at Sparks' own AntSpace co-working entrepreneurial hub, a place for entrepreneurs made by entrepreneurs. We really want to get the word out about our brand new audio series, so please spread the word about our new podcast by taking a moment to rate, review, and share this episode. Do you have a favorite story of Sparks that you want to hear on the podcast? Email info at sparksmuseum.org to share any recommendations. We would love to hear from you. We also invite you to visit the Sparks Heritage Museum on 814 Victorian Avenue. The museum is open Tuesdays through Saturdays from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Please come visit and be a part of our ongoing efforts to tell the Sparks story. We'll see you next time.